All right, so you, you guys are doing uh, Summer on the Mount, uh, Summer on the Mount series. Uh, I, I kind of had something I was praying about, thinking about it to come, and then they, they sprung it on me again that I had an assigned teaching, uh, and, I, and, and, and then it was like, yeah, uh, the Beatitudes. I'm like, oh, something easy, simple, no big deal. So, uh, yeah, just the greatest sermon ever uh, taught, spoken, preached. Um, you know, if, if the Sermon on the Mount were a meal, it would be an Italian meal. Uh, I don't know if any of you are familiar. I, I wasn't familiar with Italian meals until I got there. And the first time I sat down with our landlords, we could barely speak a word of English. They are Italian. They could not speak a word of English. And they set us down to a meal, me and my wife, and they had this amazing lasagna. <laughs> like, you know what I'm saying. When I say lasagna, like, that has got to be one of my favorite meals on the planet. Well, it was Italian mama, home-cooked lasagna, one of the best I had ever eaten. And so I'm eating, and they're like, you want some more? And I'm like, of course, you know, and they're bringing it. And then, so I'm stuffed, and then they're like, okay. And they clear the plates, and they get ready to bring in the second course, which is the, the meat course. <laughs> you know, so they're just getting started. <laughs> and I'm sitting there thinking, oh, no. So now, as a kind of more acclimated Roman, I, I typically kind of ask if they offer me seconds of the pasta, I always say, is there going to be a meat dish? <laughs> and if they say yes, I'm like, no, I'm good. I'm good. Sermon on the Mount, though, if it were to be a meal, it would be an Italian meal. You would get the primo, the first. That would be the lasagna, the baked lasagna. You'd get the second, the meat and potatoes, and you would finish it off with a delicious tiramisu. And here you have these eight attitudes, the B attitudes. They're not the do attitudes. They're the B attitudes. It's not something that you strive to attain and accomplish to, to obtain something from God to get saved. But instead, it's just something that you are because you're born again, because you abide in the vine. There are these natural ways of thinking and, and outflows from your life that reflect, as Tucker even shared, this idea, you know, the, the, the constitution of Christianity, the, the very things, the, the values of God and of his kingdom. These are kind of the what ought to be in your heart attitudes, you know, not something like, oh, man, I got to get, uh, I got to become more meek here. It's like, no, meekness should be a part of the process, and it is a process. These are not moralistic behaviors, but the thing here that we see in verse three is uh, here he says, blessed are you if you have these attitudes uh, kind of bearing out in your life. And the word blessed here is a word makarios in the Greek. It's uh, happy, it's supremely blessed. And what I want to point out to you uh, as we get moving into this is that I think sometimes in, in Christianity, especially in what we think is balanced Christianity, Calvary Chapel kind of thing, trying to strike a balance between the word and uh, the life of the spirit, uh, sometimes we kind of get this uh, pharisaical kind of mentality like, oh, you know, God doesn't want you to be happy, you know, and it's like nothing could be further from the truth. Uh, God's ultimate goal is not our happiness, it is holiness, 
He's transforming us into the image of his son, Jesus Christ. But God does want us to be happy. Not in the American sense, <laughs> not the American cultural sense. You know, like if I get a boat, if I get that house, if I get a new phone, I'll be happy. But it's, it's more this rich, deep, blessed, um, supreme happiness. We, we might call it joy. It has nothing to do with circumstances or luck. But I just want you to know this morning that God wants you to be blessed. He wants you to be happy. So let's get into these. You know, Tucker kind of touched on the first two, um, the poor in spirit and those who uh, mourn. Uh, what I want you to understand too before we get moving here is that you kind of have the condition or the attitude, which would be, you know, the poor in spirit. And then you have the reward, which is what, what happens when you're walking in these kinds of attitudes? How do you become? Why are you blessed? Why are you happy? Why are you so content? And so the poor in spirit would be the condition. And that was that desperate brokenness, the bankruptcy over uh, self and sin, coming to the realization that I have nothing, I am nothing, I need someone, I need something, I need God, and, and over my brokenness, I then find God, I repent, I become born again, the Spirit dwells in me, and now I've inherited this kingdom. And so you see these paradoxes, right? You see, uh, to be rich in the kingdom, you got to first be poor. So the poor become the rich, the beggars become the heirs, those who mourn, if you come to that brokenness, if you come to the darkness of self and pride and life apart from Jesus Christ, you will weep. If you get to see that about yourself, just how ugly it is, how selfish it is, how destructive it is, and especially in light of his goodness and his glory and his kindness and his love and his sacrifice and these kinds of things, then you will end up weeping and mourning. And so you have this uh, broken heart over your sinful condition, and yet what's the reward? You will be comforted. You, you don't just get the comfort of, hey, uh, somehow that bill got paid or whatever it is, you know, like, phew, you get the comfort of God. You get the comfort of the God who is the God of all comfort, and I can assure you, as one who's been through many grievous uh, experiences in my life, even as a missionary, uh, many, many people, I lost a couple of brothers uh, way before their years uh, should have ended, that kind of a thing. Many, many people in, in my family, dear to me and near to me. Nonetheless, whatever the brokenness is, if it's over your own sin, your own self, or uh, over the world, the condition of the world. You know, once your eyes get open, once you step into this kingdom, you're not so uh, focused in on yourself and lost in self, and you begin to open up your eyes and see the destruction and the brokenness around you and the need for um, deliverance and the need for salvation and the need for comfort uh, to others around you, that also brings about this, this kind of mourning. But 
uh, once you've been comforted with it, what does the Apostle Paul say in 2 Corinthians chapter 1? Now, now we can comfort others with that same comfort with which we have been comforted. So we're going to look at verses 5 through 7. Blessed are the meek, for they shall inherit the earth. Blessed are those who hunger and thirst for righteousness, for they shall be filled. And blessed are the merciful, for they shall obtain mercy. And if we get to all three of those, it will be a miracle of God. Uh, so, yeah, you know, I'm going to be heavy on the front end and probably super fast on the back end. So buckle up and, and get ready. That's my typical style. And I've tried to break it many, many for years here. But somehow uh, I just say, OK, God, just somehow use it by your mercy. Anyways, uh, first one here, the blessed are the meek. They will inherit the earth. The condition or the attitude is Meekness, you have the Greek word praus. It means kindness of spirit, mildness of disposition, the quality of being quiet or patient in nature, mild, moderate, submissive. It speaks about a willingness to be submitted to authority. We're not talking about weakness here. Don't confuse weakness with meekness, but rather we're talking about power under control or strength under constraint. It, it's a sort of choosing to hold back even though you have the power to act. Um, you know, I was watching a, a thing recently. Am I allowed to wander here, Tucker? I, I, I felt a little stuck to the pulpit there for a minute, but <laughs> I'm going to break out here. Uh, last time they put a mic up here and I, I was stuck. I was like, oh God. <laughs> I'm stuck. And then the lights. I'm not used to this. I'm used to a little church where we're all kind of huddled up together. But um, yeah, I was watching this video. Any wrestlers in the house? Greatest sport ever on the planet. Right. Good to see that hand back there. I see that hand. <laughs> Tommy V, he was a, a big wrestler as well. I was a wrestler. Uh, I saw this video of a state champion, high school wrestler. He was on his way to another state title. He was wrestling a kid that was very um, equal to him in ability. He was losing. And the kid got hurt. And this kid, this, this returning champion, he forfeited the match at that point because he felt he was beating me. <laughs> he was winning. So the kid got hurt. That meant that he could have taken advantage and really destroyed the dude, but instead, he held back, he pulled back. That's meekness. That's a good picture of meekness. You always have the image of the wild horse being brought under restraint. If you take a wild horse, a wild stallion, you're never going to want to get on that bad boy. You're never going to want to, you know, just try to take it for a ride. I, I grew up in Idaho here for a couple years when I was a kid, and we did try to ride the ponies. <laughs> like, it's like, I don't care if they buck or rock, you know, look at how, how bad can it hurt? I'm going to fall from, you know, this height or whatever. But, you know, you don't ever want to just step in and, and hop on a, a horse that is not broke or broken. And so... Here the idea is you, you have this, this power that has been trained or brought under restraint. And don't let the, the idea or the word brokenness escape you. You know, we've come from being poor in spirit, broken 
to, to then mourning and receiving comfort. And now we've come to this place of meekness. You know, the wildness in us <laughs> has been broken. And so now we, we, we know better who we are and we don't have to go wild. We don't have to work so hard at, at proving ourselves and, and knocking down others to lift ourselves up and, and these kind of survival tactics of the flesh to kind of gain approval, uh, these kinds of things, but rather now I'm accepted by God, approved, I, I know who I am, I know where I'm going. I, I often think, you know, you ever see these kind of um, images where like you get the street punk, he runs up to the UFC fighter, <laughs> like he's been drinking or something, you know, and he's like, you want a piece of me, man? <laughs> you know, and it's like, oh, he doesn't even know who he's you know, getting in the face of here. And, and yet, maybe the USC fighter's just kind of like, oh, hey, sorry. <laughs> I didn't mean to offend you or disturb you or get in your way. You know what I mean? There's this kind of, and, and, and he knows. The USC fighter, right? He knows. Dude, I could destroy you like in five seconds. <laughs> I could end your life, put you in a hospital, you know, and shut your mouth. But meekness, power, under control. Spurgeon said something about this value, this attitude. He said, Charles Hayden Spurgeon, he said, there is something positive in it concerning virtue. The, the first two, speaking of poor in spirit and mourning, he said the first two are rather expressive of deficiency, right? It's pointing out, <laughs> You're in a bad condition, you, you, you're broken, you're bankrupt, you're empty, you're desperate, you're weeping, you're mourning. Uh, he points out that these are expressing deficiency, but he says, but here there is something supplied. A man is poor in spirit, that is, he feels that he lacks a thousand things that he ought to possess. The man mourns, that is, he laments over his state of spiritual poverty, but now there is something really given to him by the grace of God. Not a negative quality, but a positive proof of the work of the Holy Spirit within his soul. And then he finishes out his thought by saying, although he is sinking concerning personal humiliation, he becomes gracious. That's a nice image of meekness. It is coming out of that insanity, coming out of that brokenness, coming out of that mourning, receiving the kingdom, receiving the comfort, and then being like, grace is upon me. In the Old Testament, the Bible says that Moses was the meekest man on the face of the earth. Numbers chapter 12, verse 3. Why? Well, you know, the guy only did, like, miracles, like, you know, plagues all over Egypt, going up against the Pharaoh, uh, opening up a sea, you know. I don't know if any of you have tried that lately, but, <laughs> you know, that's pretty impressive. Lift up the stick. Yes. You know, I wish I would have had that coming into the Atlanta airport the other day. <laughs> I can assure you, customs was brutal. Um, 
especially in the era of COVID, already it's a nightmare. And then you add this on it, and there's just craziness going on. But, but you know, that kind of power, that kind of influence, and yet he didn't exude that over others. He didn't think himself to be superior above others. He considered himself one of them. He loved them. He interceded on their behalf. God looked at them in their rebellion and in their pride and in their idolatry, and he said, that's it. I'm wiping them out. And Moses was like, no, 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 no. (laughs) Don't do that. Please consider your reputation. What will the Egyptians think? You know, and Moses intercedes. I mean, this is, is a man who had a church of like 2 million people. And he wasn't in the $2 million mansion on the hill and, you know, with 10 Harleys and, you know, white suits and private jets and and all these kinds of things. He was a man who was submitted to authority. The dude was like, you know, doing counseling appointments 24-7 until finally his father-in-law stepped in and said, Mo, (laughs) You can't do this, man. You're gonna have a, you're gonna die. You're gonna have a heart attack. There's gonna be health issues. Your kids don't know you anymore. Like, you gotta do something here. Well, what do you suggest I do? Here's Moses, the guy that God anoints, the guy that God chooses, the guy that God is using, and he's he's considering the counsel of his father-in-law, a shepherd. What 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 should I do? Well, here's what you do: get some other guys. To, to be leaders and, to, you know, the people can go to them for counsel. If there's a really sticky situation, you can maybe step in and deal with it, whatever. Point being, that's meekness, humility, gentleness, a, a man who's under authority and, and under control. I think one of the things, you know, when we talk, we're talking about these things here uh, in the, the COVID era, the pandemic era, the at last days, <laughs> I think, scenario, um, people are going crazy. The world's going nuts. Christians are losing their minds. Uh, if there were ever a time in our lives where we needed to see more of the Beatitudes pouring out of our souls, where we needed to see more meekness and more self-control, I, I confess, I am just as needy as anybody else. I can tell you a story about two weeks ago. I was driving down the freeway in Rome, and anyway, long story short, <laughs> I think all of us, if you're like me, all I got to do is say I was driving you know, like I used to drive in Boise, and now when I come back to visit, I'm like, what in the heck happened to this place? Like, you used to be able to drive across town in three minutes. Uh, but, you know, that, 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 you can be really holy and spiritual in the pulpit, but, man, you get out on the freeway. <laughs> you know, they say when your cup gets hit and tipped, you're going to find out what spills out. <laughs> I'm like driving, this guy comes up behind me, he's like right on my tail, and I'm like, I'm trying to get out of the way, but then the car in front of me did a little maneuver, I couldn't get out of the way, so I got back over, he got mad at me. So I'm thinking, geez, man, I I was trying to get out of your way, settle down, you know, I'm kind of trying to keep it under wraps. I get on the freeway, I go down, I'm like, kilometers down, there's traffic, it's congested, eh? I finally get a little space in the fast lane, I'm like, get over there, because this guy comes up, same guy and he's on me, 
And I'm trying to get out of his way again. Same, same exact move. It was like, what do you call that? Deja vu. I try to get back. I can't. I get back over. Then he starts really going at it, right? And, by, and then I just, I kind of lost it a little bit. <laughs> I pulled over into that second lane, let him come up next to me. And I'm looking at him and I'm like, what do you want? You want to go, buddy? <laughs> and uh, my wife is sitting next to me. <laughs> she is not, she hates confrontation of every kind, even the most subtle forms of disagreements. And I, on the other hand, can deal with pretty much any amount of confrontation. And so I'm like, you know, and I'm literally just like, and he's like, yeah, 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 and we're, you know, Italians are like talking with their hands. And, and I'm literally doing everything in my power and in the God's given Holy Spirit grace and power to, to not lift any fingers. And I didn't, I was right there, but I was like, and I, it's like everything, it was like, oh, just, uh, uh, I want to pull over. And then the Holy Spirit, you know, he just comes in and he's like, it took me a while to calm down, you know, it's like, calm down. Cause the guy is like, we followed each other in a way for like miles. And I think he was thinking, and I was thinking, it's like, man, you know, maybe should we just kind of get this over with somewhere, you know? And. And he's thinking, does this guy want to do this? You know, this is a... But Moses, this meekness, this ability, I think more than ever now, I pray, God, give me, give me the grace to not respond to guys like that. Give me the grace to not take the bait. And uh, these are signs of transformation. You know, you see, these are, this is a byproduct, this meekness, this yieldedness, this confident quietness is a byproduct of, of number one and number two, this poverty of spirit and this, this mourning, weeping over sin and self, this recognition that, oh God, without you, I am nothing and I am in big trouble. And, and would you just leave me, guide me? Would your yoke be upon me? And you know, it, it, it comes from hitting these walls of self-reliance, of, of, of exploding and losing it and running in it and going, oh God, it's one thing to need it in the beginning to, to come out of darkness and rebellion and come into that brokenness and poverty and repent and get saved. But then as Christians, we're constantly in this sanctifying process and growing and continuing to need to be, to realize that we're poor in spirit, and that we need to weep over sin. James, you know, he got pretty rough with some of those Christians that he was writing to, and he said, you guys need to weep over your sin. Sometimes we just take sin so uh, casually, you know, we're just kind of like, ah, well, what are you going to do, you know? And, and sometimes that reveals the hardness of our hearts. But I think hitting these walls of self-reliance, just like Peter, like Jacob wrestling with God, you come out of it limping, but you're, it, you're happy. <laughs> it's a happy limp. You know, it's a, I got more of Jesus out of this. It's Paul saying, I want to know him in the power of his resurrection and also in the communion of suffering together with him. You know, there's something deep and profound and powerful that we find and learn about and where we grow in that place. And it's very productive and positive. Jesus, he uses meekness 
to describe himself. Interesting, Jesus hardly ever described himself. But what he did, when he did in Matthew chapter 28, he says this, verses, uh, Matthew chapter 11, verse 28 through 30, come to me all you who labor and are heavy laden, I will give you rest. Take my yoke upon you, learn from me, for I am gentle and lowly in heart, and you will find rest for your souls, for my yoke is easy and my burden is light. That, uh, the New King James says I am gentle and lowly, that's the word, the gentle is the word meekness there in the King James. And the word that we're looking at here in the original, it's this, this power under control, this gentleness of spirit. And man, if Jesus, God, who, who being God became a man, did not consider it robbery to be equal with God in Philippians chapter two, if, if he who has all the power, uh, the creative power of the universe, if he can uh, be gentle, if he can be meek, if he can keep things under wrap. You know, if I was hanging out with those Pharisees, you know, if I was hanging out with the other disciples, you know, like James and John, the sons of thunder, I'd be like, I'll show you some thunder. <laughs> I'm going to show you boys some thunder. But uh, Jesus, you know, he was not like that. Uh, he was humble and lowly of heart. And, and this is what we need to, to learn more of and have more of and have an attitude uh, that is similar to this. You know, he, stood, he stands before Pilate. He's the son of God. He's God the son. He's the creator of the heavens and the earth. He's only doing it because this is his mission. He submitted and yielded to the father. And here is Pilate, this Pontius guy who, you know, is like, you know who I am. You know the power I got, and you're not going to answer me? And Jesus is just standing there like <laughs> the UFC fighter and the punk, right? Like, you only have the power that has been given to you by my Father. It's powerful. Uh, he's being falsely accused. He's being intimidated. His reputation is being slandered. Quiet, silent, meek. We should be the meekest people on the face of the earth. We should know who we are, be strong, be loving, walk in God's dunamis power with little to prove, demonstrating kindness, and walking in self-control. Fruit of the Spirit, Galatians chapter 5, verse 22. Love, joy, peace, patience, all that good stuff. But man, where's the self-control? Self-control is a fruit of the Spirit. It's like, man, I got out of control. Well, certainly weren't under the influence of the Holy Spirit. I had a choice in that car. <laughs> I'm going to yield to the flesh. Take over, baby. <laughs> Show them what you got. Or yield to the Holy Spirit. Let it go. Be quiet. The, the reward here is that they shall inherit the earth. You know, God entrusts authority to people who have the right priorities. And here he says, the meek. You see, meekness in this world says, you want, the, you want to be first in line? You want to get on the freeway first? You want the promotion at, at work? You want, okay, go, fine. Why? 
Because like Abraham says to Lot, right? Hey, you pick the left, I'll take the right. You take the right, I'll take the left. Why? I'm good. I trust God. He's sovereign. If he wants me to have the left, you'll go right. If he, or whatever it may be, at the end, what happens? Lot thinks he gets the best land and this and that. What, I, what, what, what did Lot really get? Destruction. His wife, his family, insanity, living in all that stress. What did Abraham get? Abraham, get up on the mountain. I want to show you something. Look, as far as the eye can see, it's all yours. Because you're yielded. You're submitted. You trusted me. And so you see the rewards here far outweigh any reward. You know, it's everything that people are striving to get in this earth we get it by letting it go, by trusting God, by being meek, poor in spirit, mourning over our sin and just saying, I have everything because I have Jesus Christ. The apostle Paul said, I, I thought I had everything and then I ran into Jesus and then I counted everything that I had as doo-doo, caca, poo-poo, uh, <laughs> manure because why? For the excellency and the grace of the knowledge of Jesus Christ. Nothing compares to knowing him. We, we, we're not thinking about the kingdom we're going to get. We're, we're stuck on the king. We're smitten by the king. We just get everything else thrown in. At the end of this whole discussion, he's going to say, Seek first the kingdom of God and his righteousness and everything that the pagans worry about, everything that the pagans strive for, that'll be added in. It'll be added unto you. If you seek after those things, you're never gonna get the king and the kingdom. But if you seek the king, you get the kingdom, and then he'll take care of everything else. Amen? We'll inherit the earth. I kind of like this earth. It's twisted. It's messed up. But man, it's spectacular. <laughs> I mean, I drive around, you know, I, I was driving around California the other day. My daughter graduated from high school there. Uh, you know, I'm always just, I'm just like, wow, look at that. You know, there's yucca trees, there's Joshua trees, whichever one you want to call them, I guess, evidently. They got these purple trees down there. They're like, they're just these big, big jacko something or others, jack somethings. And Man, I'm just looking at it, and I'm like, goodness, look at that tree. This is just amazing. It's beautiful. You know, in Italy, I drink fizzy water. I'm a fizzy water-only guy. Amen? <laughs> and uh, some of you are still not filled with the Spirit yet. I get it. <laughs> but, uh, you know, we have, our, we have these springs, and it just comes out of the ground like that. Fizzy water comes out of the ground. It's made by God. It's natural. And you're just like, this is incredible. But, but everything that the earth has, everything that it has to offer, it's, it's the joy that it brings, the beauty, all, everything that it has, we just get it thrown in because we're meek. Because we've been poor in spirit, we've mourned, we've wept, we've been comforted, and now we have this, okay, I'm good, I know who I am, you know, if God wants me to have that, if God wants to leave me, if God, and he goes, man, you're going to get everything that everybody else has sought to take, you're going to get it. 
thrown in. You know, the, the millennial kingdom, I don't know if you've read about it or studied about it or heard about it. There's this idea out of Revelation chapter 20, Jesus is going to rule and reign on the earth for a thousand years. I've been on this earth for 50. That's a lot. And it feels like, man, that, that is a long time. If I get another 30, that's a long time. But yet, at the same time, it seems like it's a vapor. We're going to be on this earth for a thousand years, and it is going to be the best version this earth has seen since the garden. It's still not going to be perfect because this earth was sown in sin. There's going to come a day at the end of that thousand years after great white throne judgment, after wickedness and sin, and the devil and everything else is dealt with and thrown into the lake of burning fire that God's going to recreate the heavens and the earth. And I believe that when Paul says, I, I has not seen <laughs> and ear has not heard what God has in store for those who love him, that's the only explanation of what we can say when we say, what's it going to be like? You have no idea. So we get the earth. Um, let's try to look at a couple others here. <laughs> I told you it's going to be heavy on the front. Attitude number four, beatitude number four, blessed are those who hunger and thirst for righteousness, for they will be filled. To be honest with you, these are all just so simple. You know, us pastors, we make sermons, we can make it, you know, complicated and long and all that, but it's like, blessed are the meek. <laughs> they will inherit the earth. Blessed are those who hunger and thirst for righteousness. They'll be filled. Jesus didn't feel like he needed to exposit it. He just said, hey, what are you hungering and thirsting after? What are your appetites gauged at? Are you seeking after the things of this life? Is it selfish ambition? Is it success and power and, and reputation? Is it comfort? Here, the word righteousness is integrity, virtue, purity of life, correctness of thinking and acting, rightness. Is that what you, when you wake up each day and you go, man, I'm starving for some righteousness. I just want to do everything that is right today in God's eyes. I love it. Being right, doing what is right, thinking thoughts that are right. Our righteousness before God has been settled. Jesus Christ is our righteousness but what about living out righteousness among our fellow man? Here he says, you know, this isn't a moralistic, okay, go today, I can't even try to go through a yellow. It could get red on the way, you know. I got to make sure I'm on my best game today. You know, just got to be strong. Again, it's, it should be the natural outflow of just abiding in Christ, having intimacy with him that, that when the question comes from the other student in class, when the, when the dirty joke comes from the person at work, when a family member comes up and says, dude, I got a way we can make cash like so fast. <laughs> you don't have to go, well, let me think about it. It's so tempting, right? You know in your heart of hearts what is right and you hunger and thirst for rightness and so therefore you're like, Dude, leave me out, count me out. And I had a chance to make millions of dollars right when I got saved. 
Uh, my mom was dating this multimillionaire. He bought a jet boat company out of England. They threw in a parasol boat. He was going to give that boat to me and my brother. We were going to go down to Costa Rica and live the high life. But the Holy Spirit was at work in my heart so fast, so strong. And I told my brother, man, I can't. I can't go like, number one, you're not even saved. I can't do a business with you. Because <laughs> I used to be like him and think just like him. And I was like, man, we can't do that anymore. I longed for righteousness. I longed for God's ways, godliness. My passions became his, to live is Christ, to die is gain. My, my prayer became thy kingdom come, thy will be done in my life and on this earth as it is in heaven. This is not something you can produce. This is something that is just produced in us because he lives in us but it affects the way you live. Everything you say and everything you do, all your business dealings, all your interactions with brothers and sisters in the body of Christ, do what is right. But don't do it because you know it's right. Do it because you love to do what is right because you love he who is righteous. Amen? Luther said, offer your hands and your feet and your whole body Wager everything you have and can do. You need a hunger and thirst for righteousness that can never be curbed or stopped or, or sated. That would be contented. One that looks for nothing and cares for nothing except the accomplishment and maintenance of the right, despising everything that hinders this end. If you cannot make the world completely pious, then do what you can. You know, there's a saying, do your best and let grace do the rest. I say just let grace do everything. <laughs> let grace do everything. If it's not out of love, I tell my children all the time, don't do it because you know. You know what I mean? That's just, that's that moralistic, mental, oh, I can't watch that because my dad won't let me. Or, eh. It's like if it's not in your heart, then it doesn't matter. The fruit is still going to be poison, destruction, sin, and so forth. But when you do it because of love, because he loves me, because I want to honor him, and because I know righteousness is also so wonderful and good, that's why I do. The reward here is literally being fed until fattened, to be saturated. This is to be satisfied. You honor God, he will honor you. If you go to Jesus and you drink from him, you eat of his body, you partake of his life, I guarantee you will be satisfied. He told the woman at the well, hey, you drinking from the wrong thing? If you knew who I was, you'd ask of me. You would have rivers of living waters flowing from your innermost being. So number five, the last one here. I'm going to do it. I don't care. I'm in the red. <laughs> I, I told him, as soon as you put this mic on my head, that's it. The negotiation is over. <laughs> Actually, Tucker said that, and I agree. Um, Blessed are the merciful, for they shall obtain mercy. The word here, eliamon, is actively compassionate. Actively compassionate. If the worship team wants to start coming up, if they're going to come up, I think that's what the red means. Um... <laughs> 
Do we have a time for a song? Are they going to do a song? <laughs> Mercy is kindness. Mercy is not getting what you deserve. Grace is getting what you don't deserve. Mercy is not getting what you do deserve. And I count on mercy every day. And because I have come to love and to know the one who is so merciful and so kind and who never gives me what I do deserve but died in my place and now gives me what I don't deserve in grace, I am rich and I overflow in abundance. And what that mercy has done to me causes me to then go, somebody else comes to me and says, oh man, sorry I was late. I'm like, hey, it's all right, no big deal. Or hey, I sinned, I did this, forgive me. I say, oh, easy. Mercy's been given to me, I give mercy. Blessed, he says, are the merciful, they will obtain mercy. What are you sowing? What are you putting out? Is it judgment? Is it sternness? Is it harshness? Because that's where the world's going right now. You better be soft and gentle and merciful and just be like, hey, it's all right, don't worry. And because you'll be merciful, God's mercy will keep pouring out on you. It's a sow and reap factor. Amen? Let's uh, stand up. Let's close in a song of worship. You know, the world admires pride. Heaven admires humility. The world likes to laugh. God listens to tears. The world respects strength. Heaven respects gentleness. The world wants things here and now. And God and the spiritual look to the eternal. The world wants justice. God likes mercy. The world is corrupt, but God wants internal purity. The world insists on its own. Heaven says, seek peace. The world attacks its enemies, but Jesus loves his. These are the be attitudes, not the do attitudes. Let the Holy Spirit fill you. Let him do the work in you. And just enjoy the outflow and the fruit of the life of Christ being manifested through you.